0: This podcast features criminologists discussing sensitive themes and topics. Listener discretion is advised. When a talented graduate student is gunned down in front of her apartment building, a trio's entanglement is exposed. This is the Danita Smith story. Amy, and happy almost Valentine's Day. No, you don't celebrate, do you? I was just about to ask you that, but before I did, on that very cynical note, Amy, I was going to (laughs) say that I want to take this moment, this moment right here to tell you just how much I love you. And if we lived closer, I want you to know that I would bring you a bottle of wine and a delicious cookie for this holiday. I mean, we don't live that far. You're suggesting I should drive an hour and 45 minutes to bring you a bottle of wine and cookie. Okay.
1: I'll get in the I car. am. I All am right. suggesting that. It's an excuse for us to hang out.
0: That's actually true. I didn't even look at it that way. <laughs> All right. Are you and Alan doing anything to celebrate Valentine's Day? Do you guys do anything?
1: No, 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 no. I mean, I might get my kids something, maybe... I don't know, like a box of candy or something. Do they do like
0: Valentine's Day cards in school? They sure do. And do they do them for the whole class?
1: Yes, but they make like little mailboxes still. I remember doing that in school. It was my most fun. It was so fun to do that. They still do that. But now a lot of people go over the top and like instead of just a Valentine card, they give like pretty much like a goodie bag of stuff. Oh, see, that just takes it a step too far. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Not my kids. They just give like an animal pun type of card and uh,
0: that's it. That's cute. I like that. James and I will probably cuddle over a good movie. And Aww. I know that I, I can bet that he's going to make me some chocolate lava cake, which is Ooh. my favorite and which he just learned to make for me because I love it so much. Oh, that's really nice. I know this is we're keeping romance alive in this household. Clearly. Well, for those of you who do celebrate, enjoy the holiday. And for those of you who do not, just enjoy the day and enjoy our episode. Today's episode is one that begins with a loving relationship, but ends in a shocking murder that nobody could have ever predicted. So I guess you might say, Amy, that today's episode is what happens when love goes wrong. Oh. But it also might serve as a cautionary tale and a reminder to respect your loved ones and honor your relationships. Oh. Danita Smith believed that she was in such a loving and honorable relationship, But she would find out, unfortunately, that this was not the case. Danita Monique Smith was born on November 10th, 1981 in New Bern, North Carolina. She was quite simply adored by her parents, Dale and Laverne Smith. Growing up alongside her three siblings, Derek, Darius and Danielle... See the D's they have going on Uh there? (laughs) Danita stood out as an exceptional child. She had an infectious energy and a complete passion for life. Those who knew Danita talk about her absolutely captivating personality and her ability to brighten any room she entered. So, of course, as we always do, I looked up at, you know, the pictures and she did have one of those smiles. And you could just see it in the picture that she radiates happy and joy and and full of life. I could tell. Oh, Kind of like me. Oh, sure. That's what you radiate (laughs) in all the pictures we take. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Danita, who was a remarkable student, garnered the praise of her teachers because of her dedication and really her commitment to her studies. She was a serious student. After graduating from high school with honors, Danita went to North Carolina Central University, where she pursued a major in English. However, during her time at the university, Danita discovered her true passion, and that was photojournalism. It was said that the ability of images to tell, you know, powerful stories and narratives and stir emotions just fascinated Danita. So, with the same determination that she put towards her studies and everything else she did, Danita pursued her newfound calling and earned a reputation for her beautiful photography. Now, Danita possessed these great, wonderful skills as a photojournalist, but she also had an unwavering commitment to really trying to affect change in her community. Now, what I mean by this is that Danita devoted time to volunteering at several nearby charitable organizations, and she actively participated in a number of community outreach initiatives. Wow. She sounds like a great person. She, she really was a great person, Amy. I'm glad you said that. She was not only a great person, just really a wonderful role model for her peers and for her community. Then there was her personal life. Her engagement to a man named Jameer Stroud, a young police officer from Greensboro, North Carolina, really brought her a strong sense of happiness and fulfillment all around. At this point, Danita thought she had it all. Mm-hmm. So who was Jameer? Danita met Jameer Stroud in college. The pair began dating, and after six years together, Jameer proposed to Danita. Now, she was thrilled to begin the journey of marriage, building careers together, and a family together. But at the same time, the pair were separated by some distance. Following his graduation from college in 2004, Jameer relocated to Greensboro for a job as a police officer. Mm-hmm. Now, we know in our field that policing jobs are not always readily available in a certain location. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. I think as we see with our students, Amy, those who want to pursue these jobs will have to relocate, whether it's for some time or permanently or until they can get back maybe to a closer location. So how far apart were they at this point? Not far. Danita chose to remain in Durham and he went to Greensboro. And I, I would say this, it might seem long distance, but it's only about an hour. But, you know, it was the type of long distance where having dinner together most nights might be difficult. So I think it was more see each other on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, the distance may have proven to be a problem for one of the pair. It appears that Jermier's fidelity wavered, leading him to an affair with a woman named Shannon Crawley, who was a fellow employee at the police department. She served as a 911 dispatcher. And she was a single mother of two children at the time. Danita, however, unfortunately living an hour away, was unaware of Stroud's involvement with Shannon. And, you know, she really trusted her fiancé. Mm-hmm. To people in their lives, just so you know, Amy, they had a reputation almost as a power couple. Mm-hmm. Jermier and Danita were both very well accomplished in college. They were both very intelligent. They were together the entire time. They had aspirations they were this, you know, good-looking couple. I've even heard them referred to as like a young Michelle and Obama. Oh. Yeah, I mean, by all appearances on the one side, they were this incredible couple. And I think that's exactly what Zanita thought. Unfortunately, her trust in Jameer in her relationship may just have cost her her life. On January 4th, 2007, just after 10 a.m., a frantic 911 call was received from a male resident in Durham, North Carolina. The caller reported an incident at the Campus Crossings apartment complex, stating that a woman appeared to have suffered a very bad fall down the stairs in front of the apartment complex. He was just a neighbor? He was. He, he was just someone who lived in the area mm-hmm. and he came out and found this woman lying on the ground and she was unresponsive and there was a lot of blood. And so he called 911 immediately. First responders arrived to the scene, but unfortunately, it was too late. The woman was deceased, as the caller had believed she was as well.
1: I'm assuming this woman is Danita Smith.
0: Yes, they are going to find her wallet and confirm that unfortunately, the victim was Danita Smith. Detective Sean Pate from Durham Police Department took the lead on this investigation. He showed up at the scene and assessed what was going on. He observed that at first, by the way, let me just point out that it looked like a fall. And when he first glanced around, he could see her personal belongings, including keys, purse and wallet scattered around her as if someone had fallen and their belongings had just fallen with them.
1: I'm sorry, what time of day was this? Was this early in the day? Sorry if you said it. was. It. Okay. it was
0: about 10 to 11 a.m. Okay. As he was going through the items, notably, there was still money in her wallet, and I think it was a significant amount. So it pretty quickly ruled out robbery as a motive. Not entirely, but it did not seem like a robbery. Were there surveillance cameras? If there were surveillance cameras, it did not mm-hmm. capture the events that happened here. Gotcha. Unfortunately. After they identified Danita and they took a look at Danita's body- They discovered that this was not a fall at all. In fact, Danita had died from a fatal gunshot wound to the head. Oh, wow. Which later was determined to have been caused by a thirty-eight caliber revolver. So somebody shot her and then threw her down the stairs. Or shot her at the top of the stairs, and then she fell down the stairs. Mm -hmm. But I guess the way her body was lying, it was concealing the gunshot wound. So all you saw was the blood in her body. Oh, wow. So now that with this discovery, the police canvassed this populated area to see if anyone saw anything. And lucky for them, there were witnesses. Now, I say populated. The apartment building was a campus-related housing. So there were usually a lot of people around but it was the holiday time, so there were less people than there normally would be. Mm-hmm. That being said, there were a couple of witnesses who told the police that they saw a woman fleeing the location around the time of the murder. More specifically, there was one key witness here, and he was the maintenance director for the complex. He told the police that he saw a woman, a tall woman, approximately five ten in height, a black woman with a fair complexion who was departing the scene in a burgundy SUV. Okay,
1: so um, let me me take a wild guess here. This is the woman in which her husband was having an affair.
0: Her fiance. Well, we don't know that yet. I'm sorry, her fiance, okay. Might not be a bad guess though, I can tell you that. Okay. This maintenance man though, not only saw this woman, but he spoke with her because while he was in his vehicle trying to approach the scene and figure out what was going on, he saw her leaving in her vehicle. Hmm. And so he kind of stopped next to her window. What had happened at this time was there was a gunshot noise. So the the maintenance man heard it. He's approaching. He sees this woman. She seems visibly shaken, by the way. Hmm. And he says, you know, did you hear that gunshot wound? And and she says, yes. Um, and she was very upset. And I believe he even directed her like, maybe you want to meet me back at a certain place and we can call the police Regardless, she did appear to leave the scene. He didn't get her name, but he called 911. But get this, Amy, that remember that he wasn't the 911 caller that led the first responders there. Okay. He was the first 911 caller. And this call came in, I think, about an hour earlier. Hmm. The police showed up. I don't know how many and I don't know what type of canvas they did, but they didn't seem to find any evidence of gunshot and they didn't see Danita. And I don't know how or why that's even possible. How big was this complex? It was a substantial complex, but I don't know how huge it was at the time. It seems odd to me. They didn't do much of a canvas, I would guess. No. And this is what's reported too. So I really don't know to what degree. Mm -hmm. All I know is this call came in earlier. There was a reported response no location of Danita or her body. Mm-hmm. It was the second 911 caller who found her body that elicited the the full team and when the police discovered Danita. Okay. It wasn't long before Danita's fiancé, Jamir, arrived at the scene as well. Everyone had heard about this. Her family, her family showed up and Jamir. Upon arriving, Jamir immediately sought out Detective Pate for a discussion, and the police were very happy to speak with Jamir. Mm-hmm. As we all know, the spouse or romantic partner is almost always the first suspect and the first yeah. person police will want to speak with. Mm-hmm. So the first thing they asked Jamir was they inquired about his whereabouts that morning. To which he replied that he was at home, still asleep, due to working late the previous night.
1: Uh, and he says he was by himself? Correct. Oh, that's going to be tough.
0: Yes, that is tough. It's not the strongest alibi. But for now, the police were just collecting information. This is very preliminary. So Jamir got into his car to travel home after a while, I think to be with his family. I think he had spent some time with Danita's family as well. Um, you're not going to stay on the scene for that long. Mm-hmm. But the police called him the next day with some further questions after they had time to canvas the scene and canvas the witnesses. They asked Jamir specifically if he knew anyone who owned a burgundy SUV. And a seemingly shocked Jameer promptly volunteered the name Shannon Crawley. Okay,
1: so things are changing a bit for me. Sounds like he was not involved in this. Because initially,
0: I was thinking maybe there was some involvement with Jameer. You're going to have to hold that judgment for later. Okay. You'll have to hold that, but it's, it's good. You have good instincts right now. Did he
1: tell police that he was having an affair?
0: He did. Okay. At this point, he also got in his car and immediately returned to the Durham Police Station. Mm-hmm. He said he came in because he wanted to share everything he knew with the investigators. Okay. I don't think, just to be clear, if he wasn't involved, that he necessarily believed. Okay. I think he was very surprised to hear that it was possible that Shannon could be linked to the scene. hmm <laughs> And things didn't look good for Jameer at this point, frankly, but nonetheless, he proceeded to provide Detective Pate with information regarding his affair with Shannon Crawley. He emphasized that their affair had ended about a year earlier. He said that it was a very foolish decision, and he said... The breaking point for them was that Shannon became pregnant in 2005 with his child, but the pair had decided on an abortion, which signaled the end of the relationship by Jermier's token. Okay, I think it might have been enough to scare him. I am also not sure that Shannon really wanted the abortion, but Jermier did. Okay, He wanted to continue. He had every intention, just so you know, in marrying Danita. Okay. However, just to be clear, even though Shannon and Jermier ended their romantic relationship, They still remained friends, but as I understand, not sexual. Shannon was always kind of a shoulder for Jameer when he needed one. So they still had long phone conversations frequently. Still sounds like an emotional affair. Yes, absolutely. And it seemed that Shannon wanted to resume their romantic relationship. After they broke up, she began attending his church, which Jameer said wasn't at the time much of a red flag because a lot of people went to that church. But she also purchased a home near where Jamir lived, which in the area, I guess, you know, as he explains it. Well, a lot of people like that area. Um, it wasn't that big of a deal. But it did seem like Shannon was kind of encroaching a little bit on his area. Do we know if Danita and Shannon knew each other at all? Did they ever meet? They did not. Okay. Now, Jamir asserted that at this point he was telling the police Even if he didn't believe it at the time, he now believed that Shannon was stalking him for quite some time, you know, Mm. giving them this information. He made it clear again that he was the one who ended the relationship. But get this, Amy, the last time he saw Shannon was on Christmas Eve of 2006. That's less than two weeks before Danita's murder. And the situation was that he walked into the church where Shannon also went with his fiancee Danita on his arm. Oh. Now, I think Shannon was c- quite surprised by this development for two reasons. One, I don't believe that she knew that Jamir was in a relationship at the time.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, she didn't know about Danita the whole time. She did not
0: know about Danita. Oh.
1: Well, I don't know why I, I had, was under the impression that she knew that she was, you know, a mistress or having an affair.
0: No, it does not appear that she knew about Danita. It oh. appears that Jameer kept his lives very separate. And I think that's why Shannon thought that they were going to resume their relationship. So, no, I don't know if Shannon realized that Danita was someone he had been seeing or she just thought, oh my gosh, she's met someone so quickly. Come to church with her. Yeah. She's got a ring on her finger. So, oh, this wow. is a fiance. And this is very shocking, I believe, to Shannon oh, wow. at the time and probably quite devastating. Mm-hmm. OK, so given this information by Jamir, law enforcement officers paid a visit to Shannon's workplace because obviously they want to speak with her now. Yeah. Shannon said that on the morning of Danita's murder, she was at home with one of her children who was sick. She was very forthcoming about the relationship with Jamir. She did not deny the relationship in any way. Mm -hmm. she disclosed to the police that she had previously dated Jameer, but their relationship had come to an end when she expressed her reluctance to have a child with him.
1: Question, was the car in her driveway, that maroon color car they were looking for?
0: Yes, it was with her. I believe that they were able to locate the car pretty quickly and I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. Okay, so this information was surprising though about the child. Remember, Jameer had told his side it was that they had an abortion because he didn't want children. Mm -hmm. Now, Shannon's saying, she ended the relationship because she was reluctant to have a child with him. Okay. Again, information collecting, just investigating at this point, evidence gathering stage. When questioned about her familiarity with Danita, Shannon said that she believed Danita was Jameer's ex-girlfriend and she had never met her personally. Okay. Now I think that she knew Danita was not an ex girlfriend, but I believe for a long time she. Mm -hmm. This is probably what Jermyer told her. I had an ex girlfriend named Danita. Yep. Okay. The police proceeded to ask Shannon if she possessed a firearm, to which she replied that she did not. After meeting with Crawley, who became a viable suspect, although let me say that one of the officers, I believe it was Officer Pate, said that she seemed very forthcoming and almost honest. Mm -hmm. She didn't seem incredibly scared. But the police quickly discovered that Shannon had lied about owning a firearm. Okay. So this was the first problem. She was a police officer or she was like admin staff? She was a 911 dispatcher. Uh, Okay. Okay. Now, after hearing about Danita's murder, which made big news, a witness came forward who knew Shannon. And according to this witness, a man by the name of Ronald Simpson, who was a co-worker of Shannon's, he told the police that Shannon had purchased a 38 Taurus special revolver from him in October of 2006.
1: Taurus, that sounds familiar. Is that the
0: same gun that was
1: used in the Melanie McGuire case? That's correct. Yes, okay.
0: According to Simpson, the transaction occurred in a parking lot of the 911 center where they were both employed. So this seems a little bit odd. Also, remember, Shannon had said she didn't have a gun. By this time as well, police had pulled the cell phone records of both Shannon and Jamir. What did these cell phone records reveal? Well, if you're going just by the cell phone, Jamir did appear to be at home, as he had said. Now, that okay. does not mean that he was definitely at home and didn't have his cell phone, okay. but just by these records. But Shannon's cell phone, well, that was a different story. Shannon's cell phone registered in Durham, 60 miles from her home, where she said she was all morning. Didn't she move closer? She moved closer to him. But remember, he and Shannon lived in a different town. Oh, they lived separate, yes. They lived in the same town, but that was about an hour from Danita. Gotcha. And the police had asked Shannon, had she been in Durham? And she said, well, at some point in my life I had, but certainly not that morning. Now, at this point, Shannon's car was seized and it was tested for evidence. Specifically, they were looking for gunshot residue. After the lab results came back from the vehicle, there was a positive test for gunshot residue and it was all over the steering wheel, which Shannon would have had her hands on.
1: Mm -hmm. It seems like very simply they could have just done a show up or a lineup with the maintenance man who spoke to that woman when he heard the gunshot in the maroon car.
0: You know, interestingly, I didn't see much about a lineup with the maintenance man. I saw uh, about his testimony and his testimony again. So I'm really not sure if there was a lineup. I would expect that there was. But at this point, remember also, Shannon has not been arrested just yet. Okay. Armed with this information about the gun and the cell phone records, an arrest warrant was issued. And on January 9th, 2007, Shannon Crawley was taken into custody and officially charged with the murder of Danita Smith. However, she had no history, no criminal history, and I'm not sure how strong the evidence was. So I will tell you that she was released on a $100,000 bond.
1: I was just going to ask if she had any history. You took words out of my mouth.
0: No. And also, remember that she works for, she was a 911 dispatcher, and she has two small children at home, and she's the sole caretaker. Okay. I often, I mean, not usually in murder cases, but I always speak to my students, especially in women in crime, about how women and men fair at different parts in the system where chivalry exists because it does Mm -hmm. exist. And most often the most chivalrous stage towards women is at bail and usually because they have children.
1: I was going to say if they have children more so.
0: Yes. So Shannon's arrested, but she's released a couple of weeks after her release in May of 2007. Shannon and her lawyer visit the Durham Police Department to try to explain the evidence against her. This is a really unlikely move,
1: I have to say. They're trying to get charges dropped? Like, I don't, it's so strange.
0: I'm not sure if she's trying to get them dropped or, uh, yes, I would assume that she's trying to get them dropped or for police to see it a different way. But listen to what she told them.
1: Sorry, things aren't supposed to happen this informally. Right? I well, mean, she's
0: with her attorney. I
1: know, but
0: I'm, I'm saying if it was. No, that's what I said. This is a very odd thing. Yeah, move.
1: I would say, if anything, the attorney would maybe put in a motion to drop charges and then put the information in some sort of affidavit. It just seems like this is. I don't, you don't usually hear this. Am, am I right on that?
0: Or they'd motion to meet with the attorney, the prosecuting attorney? So yeah, no, something, right? It's an odd move. Okay. So listen to what they told. Listen to what she okay. tells the police officer with her attorney present. She tells the police that Jameer was stalking her. After their breakup, she said that he called her frequently. He came to her work a lot and she was afraid because he was a police officer and he had a gun. And she says that was the reason her co-worker offered her a gun, because he knew that Jermier was around a lot and that he seemed to be stalking Shannon and he was afraid for her. She said that she regretted this purchase, though, immediately. And so she got rid of the weapon, throwing it away shortly after she got it. She told a whopper of a story, too, about what really happened on the morning of Danita's death. Are you ready for this? Oh, I'm excited. Let's hear it. Okay. She said that Jermier showed up at her home with a gun, with his gun, and forced her into her vehicle. Okay. She reported that on the day of the murder, after forcing her into her vehicle, Jermier then forced her to drive to an apartment complex, one that she did not know. Mm -hmm. And this would be Danita's where he proceeded to take away her keys and phone while he got out of the vehicle. She stated that she waited in the car for a significant period of time until she heard Jameer involved in a loud verbal argument with another woman. After waiting for a period of time and hearing this argument, Shannon said that she couldn't quite understand what was happening or hear the argument, so she got out of the car to find out what was going on. During this time where she gets out, she hears the sound of a gunshot and observes Jameer quickly running towards the vehicle. In a state of urgency, Jameer directs Shannon to drive while he conceals himself in the back seat on the ground, on the floor. Now, remember she was leaving quickly. She was on foot. Mm -hmm. People saw her, then she gets in the car. Mm -hmm. She says this is when in her vehicle she passed by that maintenance man. And while Jameer urged her to speed away from the scene, she stopped at the urging of this maintenance man. I think he probably was like, "Stop, mm-hmm. put your you know, put your window down." Yeah. But Shannon says that she stopped because she was hoping that he would recognize that she was in fear and distress. She said at this time, Jameer was in the back seat laying on the ground, but had his gun to her back. Oh, come on. And this was her story. And the reason she didn't come forward was because Jameer was violent and threatened her and threatened her family.
1: Okay, so how do you explain the gunpowder residue on the steering wheel?
0: She said at some point later on that when Jameer jumped in the car with her, he did touch the wheel or he was in the front seat and then jumped into the back seat, grabbing her okay. or grabbing the wheel.
1: All right, so then there must be a ton of DNA to support this in her car of Jameer.
0: I mean- However, that being said, it wouldn't be really odd if Jameer's DNA was in her car because the two had a relationship for a long time. Yeah, true. But they hadn't
1: so. for a while, right?
0: They were they friends, were really good friends. Okay, but they gotcha. So I don't know that DNA was is going to be the smoking gun we think it would be in this case. However. Either way, I am I think this story sounds outrageous. To some, it sounds outrageous. To others, they were asking, was Jameer the real perpetrator in setting Shannon up? I think the police, it took them a very long time to investigate Jamir. I think they were very suspicious of him for quite some time. Now, they took this information back to Jameer, who refuted, adamantly refuted, every allegation that Shannon made. Mm-hmm. And now, while on bond, just to let you know, Shannon had left, she received permission to leave for Charlotte, which was about 100 miles away. And this was so that she could live with her family. But according to Shannon, this did not deter Jameer from continually harassing her. In fact, Amy, she made a bombshell accusation in June of 2008. Is there any
1: evidence that he's been harassing her?
0: No. Okay. But here's her accusation. On June 20th, 2008, Shannon went to the emergency room saying that she was walking her dog early in the morning when she encountered Jameer outside of her family's home, and that he accosted her at knife point and sexually assaulted her for several hours.
1: Okay, then there's got to be some evidence, no?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a strange claim and a strange twist, but let's look to the evidence. What did police find? Of course, police investigated immediately, Mm -hmm. but they were having trouble substantiating Shannon's claims. Um, They ran a sexual assault kit, which is common, And it came back negative for genital injuries and negative for semen. It appeared that Shannon had some other maybe marks on her arm or other areas of her body. But in terms of the sexual assault, it it came back negative. And there was no eyewitnesses or surveillance to corroborate Jameer being there? What did happen, in fact, was that police found surveillance that corroborated Jameer's story. He was nowhere near Shannon. I'm not surprised. He was in the town in which he resided, and it was impossible for him to have been there. So with the negative exam coming back and with his rock solid alibi, the police declared that Shannon was lying. They did not believe her claims and believe this was a false claim of sexual assault.
1: She's making things worse for herself. I don't know how she doesn't realize that. I think so as well.
0: I agree. Now, after this, about a year and a half passes with Shannon out on bond, but finally the time had arrived for the courtroom. So Shannon was proceeding to trial. And on February 8th, 2010, Shannon's trial commenced with a classic he said, she said scenario that unfolded. The prosecution claimed that Shannon was obsessed with Jameer and having him and that Danita was the one obstacle in her way, whereas the defense contended that Jameer was the real perpetrator and the one responsible for the murder. Although Jameer's motive is unclear. Did he want to get rid of Danita for Shannon? Was he looking to get rid of Danita and frame Shannon? The motive was not crystal clear here. Did Shannon, because Shannon is pointing the finger at Jameer, yes. correct? Yes. Now, does she claim there's a certain motivation? No, she did not. No. She claimed okay. that she did not know okay. why Jameer had done gotcha. this. Just that he was okay. violent. And I think it was mm-hmm. suggested that he wanted to get rid of Danita. The defense fought like hell to keep those rape allegations out of the trial, but they lost. And so the jury would hear about these claims and the fact that the police found them to be false claims. That's good. I'm glad they got them in. I I am, too. I'm I'm glad those were introduced. Yeah, I am, too, because we also know that sexual assault allegations that are not true are very uncommon. In fact, the FBI reports that it is Mm -hmm. one percent or less of all allegations that are uh, that are shown to be false, which is a very small number. But any time an allegation like that is made and any time like that, it's false. It's very damaging Mm -hmm. to other victims. So I am glad that they got that in. Jermier became the state's star witness, telling the jury about his relationship with Shannon and her actions following the breakup. Now, Jermier does appear credible. He's well-spoken. But unfortunately, when the defense comes up, it's not a good look for Jermier. He has lied to both He's been deceiving both Shannon and Danita the entire time. So his credibility wasn't great in terms of being a liar in that regard.
1: Yeah, but just because you're... A cheater, and you know you may not be honest. Obviously, that doesn't make you capable of murder. But I, oh. I understand how this. No, I one hundred percent agree with
0: you. But yeah. it's the credibility issue of: yeah. Aren't you a person who who has lied for many mm-hmm. times? You know, and would you be a person who might lie again? Yeah. The jury heard from the man who sold Shannon the gun, and though the murder weapon had never been recovered, a bullet fragment from Denita's body appeared to have come from the exact gun Shannon had purchased from her friend. So they were able to match the fragment to the type of gun.
1: I'm sorry, what do you mean by appeared to have? Don't we have better
0: ballistic technology? Or Well, the bullet fragment was shot from the same gun, but you can't link it to the exact gun without the murder. The murder weapon was never retrieved.
1: Gotcha. Okay, thanks for clarifying.
0: Sure. Um. So things were not looking great, but now what would Shannon do? Would Shannon take the stand? What do you think? I think she will not. Well, you would be wrong. Really? Yes.
1: Very surprising move
0: here. Shannon took the stand and she told the exact story. She had previously told the police that Jermier had forced her to come with him while he killed Danita, that she was an unwitting accomplice and... Let me tell you, Shannon was pretty convincing on the stand. She, again, she was solid. She was stoic, Mm well-spoken. She didn't cave. But things were going well until the prosecution confronted her with the tapes. Tapes? What tapes? Aha. Well, the ones that Shannon had recorded of her conversations on the phone with Jermier in attempts to get Jermier to confess. So this is after the murder of Danita. Hmm. She provided them to her defense, but they chose not to use them. So keep that in mind. The prosecution played these tapes. During one of the conversations on tape, Jermier inquires, who have you been talking to? On the recording, Shannon firmly denies speaking to anyone, but Jermier insists that he's aware she's opened her mouth. Meanwhile, Jermier threatens Shannon, cautioning her that if she persists in speaking to anyone about what she saw that day, he would find her. Shannon says on one of the tapes, quote, what, you'll even kill me? Jameer's chilling response, quote, you know, I won't hesitate to repeat it. What? OK, but, Amy. Yes, please. Remember, I said the defense didn't use these. The prosecution is using these tapes. And after Jameer's testimony, these tapes seemed pretty silly because the whole courtroom, including the jury, had listened to Jameer's voice for quite some okay. time. This is ridiculous. OK. You know where this is going, right? I'm shocked at where this is going, but yes, I do. The prosecution was very, very um, smart about emphasizing the distinctiveness of Jameer's voice and the depth of his voice. He had a deep voice. But if you listen to the tapes, the mail on the tapes sounded unusually high pitched. Jeez. And it wasn't just uh, law enforcement. I believe even one of Danita's friends or family members testified that the tapes did not sound legitimate as well and, and noticed a voice in or a difference. They got people to testify that that did not sound like Jameer's voice. She's just
1: going to any length at this
0: point. Yeah. And the insinuation here was that Shannon had hired someone to impersonate Jameer in a deliberate attempt to frame him. Unfortunately, the allegation of sexual assault, the frame job, you know, these tapes, They backfired on Shannon in court. There was no evidence, Amy, to suggest that Jermier was involved, rather that he was just guilty of very bad judgment and behavior Mm -hmm. before Danita's murder. In the end, Shannon Crawley was found guilty of the murder of Danita and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole.
1: You just love these love triangles how many we have to go back over the years and see how many you've done this case was suggested by a number of
0: listeners i just want to say it's a very interesting case it is so where does the case stand today what happened to the players involved shannon crawley remains in prison in north carolina she adamantly maintains her innocence to this date and is very very well supported by her family her her parents and other family members believe that jameer is the true perpetrator And they support Shannon. There is no evidence to date that has ever been found connecting Jermier to the murder of Danita or to any harassment of Shannon Crawley. Jermier went on at some point. He did return back to policing, but he did go on at some point to leave law enforcement eventually for a career in financial advisement. He is now married and has children.
1: It must have been very hard for him, too, because those are, you know, those are no small allegations. He's a police officer who's right. somebody smearing his name saying that he's a murderer. That must have been really difficult.
0: Yeah. And I don't think I think that's why he didn't last very long. Yeah. And there's still some hostility. Frankly, I looked online and there's hostility towards him. Comments are he went on to have a successful life, a family, children. And Zanita was not as lucky. She couldn't have any of those things because of him. That's what I've seen online. That's not fair. I mean, it's something that he's. Uh, he's going to have to carry that burden with him. And he's um, a victim. His fiance was murdered. Yes. Yes. He is a victim as well. Mm-hmm. It is sad, though, that Danita didn't get to have the same future. She had a very, very bright future. At this point, I would say her legacy lives on with her family, with her community, and in the media who continue to cover Danita's story. All right. Let's turn to the Why? why did this happen? I don't think this is going to be terribly difficult to uh, explain. But no, you know, Shannon Crawley wanted Jermier to be hers, it seemed, Mm -hmm. at at any cost. So this is probably classic strain theory to me. Uh, Yeah, it seems like the clear catalyst was when she saw them together. Would you agree? Losing him and realizing that he was with someone else, realizing that she really lost
1: him. I was going to say losing him, I don't think was the issue because it seems like she thought they would get back together or that they were still in each other's orbit. I think it's when she saw him with another woman and-
0: Absolutely. Yeah. But for me, I think that's when she realized she had lost him. Correct, yes. Yes. So for me, this fits with general strain theory, Mm -hmm. which we talk about frequently, but I'm not sure if we've, it's been a while since we've kind of covered- what the strain inducers are. So general strain theory is the way I understand it and teach it proposes that there are three primary strain inducers in life that will cause someone to react in a way that is criminal.
1: If they lack the proper coping mechanisms, correct? That's correct. Because we all experience these strains, right? It's just a matter of how you deal with them.
0: That's correct, yes. If you do not have appropriate coping mechanisms to deal with this. Mm-hmm. The first one is the failure to achieve one's goals. And this is major life goals. So this shouldn't be, you know... Today, I didn't get to the post office, and that was my goal. These are major life goals, the failure to have a family, the failure of career. Mm -hmm. So these are significant life events. The second one, and some of these have fancy names, is the presence of negative stimuli. Mm -hmm. So this is essentially getting something you really don't want. A lot of times I teach this to my class as someone who is abused, someone who gets, let's say, a disease of some type. So this is something something very negative presence in your life. Mm-hmm. And the last one that I teach is the loss of positive stimuli. And that is losing something that is so important to you in your life, such as you could lose a career, or in this case, you could lose a significant other. Yeah, and it almost seems like not only did she
1: lose, it's almost like she lost the goal of having a life with him. She felt like she lost him. And then also the presence of Danita, right? So it's almost like all three fit in a way. I think you're
0: absolutely right. I just want to point out that Shannon had not been dating prior to Jermier. She was really focused on her job and children. And I think when Jermier came along, she became very attached to him. Mm -hmm. As I said, they were very close. I even saw in an interview, someone said it was like they never dated, but they were just almost like some old couple who had been together for a long time. Interesting. Yeah, so there seemed to be some type of connection with them.
1: In the textbook I use to teach um, crim theory, there's a fourth one, which is kind of related to the first one that you mentioned. Um, So I guess it might be like a subcategory. And it talks about the disconnect between what you expect will happen and what actually happens, which obviously is a failure to achieve goals. But I guess they just frame it in this way that your expectation is different than your achievement. So she may have expected that these two were going to live happily ever after. And then when she saw that, so it's it's kind of the same, but it's interesting that
0: the two textbooks kind of explain it a little differently. Understood. I think they all fit mm-hmm. in this case. So, yes, I think Shannon, this was a case of strain theory for Shannon.
1: But I also wonder, like looking at like the coping mechanisms, usually when people lack the proper coping mechanisms, you could see some sort of or something with her psychologically or biologically that would lead to her not being able to properly cope with these strains. Uh,
0: Right. I don't know that there were any indicators, Mm -hmm. to be honest. I'm not sure in her personal life or other that there was any evidence that she didn't have strong coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, this stress did become too much for her and and likely led to her eliminating what she feared was her competition and not to lose Jermier. Remember, she didn't know about Danita until Christmas. And it was, you know, right after that point, that Danita was murdered. So that was the trigger that was the catalyst for sure. Do you think there
1: was anything with control here? Like she maybe felt like she was losing control of the situation as well with the presence of Danita? It's possible. But mm-hmm. I really
0: think it was the loss of Jameer and realizing yeah. she lost into another woman. That's what I think the catalyst was here. Do you have any other theories? Sorry before I move on. It no, seems like I you think this possible.
1: is I think this is one of those that is I don't want to say Clear cut because nothing's ever clear cut. No, but of course not. This seems to fit a particular mold more so than some of the other cases we talk about.
0: I think so as well. The criminal justice system did it work? I think this is probably an easy one for us mm-hmm. uh, on this episode. The system worked. There was a strong investigation. Unfortunately for everyone who knew her and likely the community and far beyond, the loss of Danita is not one that can be replaced. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, justice was served in that Shannon was incarcerated. I believe Jamir was not involved. So I think that was appropriate as well. But Danita, let's remember her. She was by all accounts an extraordinary person. And I trust that her legacy will live on for almost everyone whose life she was ever involved in. Uh, That is it for
1: today's episode. Thank you for bringing this case. I had never heard of it before, so I appreciate learning about these cases. I don't know of.
0: you seem to appreciate some of the twists and turns and you had a lot of opinions on them. So I was glad that you were so engaged. In other words, I interrupted too much. (laughs) Is that a nice way of saying? No, I meant that you were very engaged (laughs) in it. I know it's not your usual type of case, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you to everyone else for joining us for today's episode. And we'll catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga. Script editing is by Abigail Castro. Audio editing is by Siler Burr and Jose Alfonso. And music is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to follow and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as exclusive full-length episodes, lectures, a book club, and virtual happy hours with Megan and Amy. For more information, visit patreon.com womenandprime. Sources for today's episode include ABC 11, an episode of Snapped, WRAL.com, Heavy.com, and State v. Crawley 2011.
1: Seeking the Truth Never Gets Old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends.